Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at SchoolStatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 245, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This episode will have ideas to slow the summer slide. Stay with us. Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each episode, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. Our guest this episode will tell us how and why we should tie stories to STEM. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by friend, chief academic officer, as well as co-host of the Class Dismissed podcast, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing today? Listen, <laughs> I'm four days, <laughs> four days from the last day of school, and that's what I hear from all the teachers. Right. But for me, it's 90 to nothing, 12 months around the year. Right. I know. So wait, how much you're in the, the, the office, the big district office now, and you say you hear from all the teachers. How much are teachers directly contacting you or do principals? or? How's that oh, happen? I talk to principals and teachers daily. daily. I'm in okay. schools. Yeah, I am not uh, sit at my desk just staring at my computer. I do have lots of reports to do and data analysis, but the bread and butter of this department is with instruction. So I'm in schools, I'm in classrooms. I'm, yeah. I'm glad we have you for this episode because we're going to talk about something that is often talked about as we go into the summertime, and that's the summer slide. First question for you is, is the summer slide just good alliteration and not really a thing, or is it real? Oh, it's very real. Yeah. It is very real. And it's been around and talked about for a long time. Mm -hmm. And while a lot of people think it's a myth, we have the data to show you that it is not. All right. So we're going to kind of try to come up with some ideas. I've got some lists. I've scoured the internet of just like things that a district can do to help, I'm not going to say prevent the summer slide, but slow the summer slide. Is that fair? You really can't prevent it, right? I don't think you can prevent it, but you definitely want to slow it. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of my trouble with this is a lot of the ideas that I get require good parental particip participation because, you know, like the teacher's not at the home. And while there's some ideas, it takes that parent to kind of probably nudging a student through the summer. But maybe you have some ideas that are like, well, here's something that a teacher can pass on to a student. And there's a decent chance that they'll do these things over the summer. Is this any idea? Well, well, let me just say this before we even unpeel this. Okay. When you start an exercise regimen, regimen, whether it's walking, running, cycling, mm -hmm. stretching, let's just think about something as simple as stretching. Right. When you stop, your muscles, your body, your endurance, your metabolism all begins to slow down over time if you just suddenly quit. Right. Right. That's the same thing. Consider your brain, you know, just like the other muscles in your body. And if you stop thinking deeply and stop processing and analyzing and stop learning new words and stop, you know, being immersed in, in text, then, yeah, the brain is slowing down over the summer. And then all of a sudden you're hit. Bam. August 1st. Well, July now. Right. 
depending and on you your district. And you got to get that thing, yeah, and you got to get that thing back rolling. And that's why children are exhausted and asleep before you can get out of car line when school first starts. So think about that when we think about the summer slide. And so there are tons of things you can do, whether you're educated, full of, you know, resources, access to things, it doesn't matter. Everybody can win with the summer slide. Okay. So one thing that I liked is I was kind of like going through the list. Um, cause I, I'm kind of a, the belief that if you're going to get a child to do something that involves using that brain through the summer, it needs uh-huh. to maybe be fun. You almost need to kind of coat it in sugar for lack of a better description. Um, I love it. So, uh, one that jumped out at me that I was seeing, and, and this is something teachers could share with students and their parents. It was, uh, just like a, a website that had all these card games that actually end up causing you to do math. And I've played a lot of Uno and stuff like that with my Mm -hmm. daughter. And she's constantly like running the numbers or thinking or or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, that's pretty good. That that keeps the brain going. I love it. Play cards with your kids, right? How hard is that? Not hard at all. Not hard, especially if you just encourage siblings to play with one another. Do you have any ideas that you kind of like to pass on to to your crew? Oh, I have a ton of ideas. Um, One of my favorite things that I used to do when my children were younger is I always had a summer schedule, different activities that they could do throughout the day um, that would incorporate reading and math and critical thinking and even physical activity. You know, I didn't want them to sit around staring at cartoons all day. And so we had a, a Monday through Friday schedule on a whiteboard that I had posted up and I engaged with them um, because I was still teaching then so that I was off in the summer and we would have so much fun. But something else that's really important, don't wait to the summer to put in routines to keep children thinking critically and using all those skills. Some of the same activities that we're going to talk about really should happen all year long. And that's what I really want to give you a list of. Okay. Well, like, yeah, yeah. Get, go ahead, please. As we're driving, we are always reading the signs, whether it's city names, um, neighborhood names, whatever okay. it is, we're sounding it out and we're, we're, um, you know, announcing those words. We're adding miles. How many miles is it from target to Walmart to the house? Not only that, we kept materials in the car all year long. So we had whiteboards, dry erase boards. We had dominoes for counting, just lots of activity, an activity bin that you can keep in your back seat that's easily accessible for your children. Um, not only that, when we're going to order dinner or getting groceries, that list, having them read off that list to you and announce words, how many do we need? Well, what's a dozen if we're getting eggs? How do you know it's a dozen? Right. Just activities that help children build their skills all year long. And if you're always doing that, they look forward to it. What game are we playing today as we drive to church? I really like that. It's like if you're headed to the beach or you're headed to Disney World yep. and say you're kind of upper level student with the math and you're like, all right, I'm driving, oh, yeah. I'm averaging 70 miles an hour. I need to go 180 miles. How long will it take? You know, like you can actually get pretty oh, complex huh. math equations there. And make it a competition and 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 keep track and score and have, have prizes. Um, and it just becomes part of the family culture. What about the idea of getting students to read. Um, I know it's it's so easy to be like, here's a book that I want you to read this summer. I would, I'm going to go maybe not popular opinion here, but I'm going to say maybe gets read two out of 10 times. Like, I don't know if that really always translates when you hand out that book. What's a way to get students to actually want to pick up a book or maybe even audio book? I don't know. I'm a mom of boys. I learned very early on that they weren't interested in reading books, not chapter books, not the books that their teachers really needed them to read and nothing from their AR list. Get creative. 
find out what they like. Literally go to the local library, watch where they browse, watch what they pick up. Right. My youngest son, oh my goodness, he is in walk a walking encyclopedia. He could tell you anything about any athlete and all of their stats. Right. So I always purchased him those scholastic books that gave all of the statistics about all kinds of sports or um, just competitions, the Guinness World Book of Records. He That's his little weird thing that he liked doing. That's what I did. Now, my oldest son, who really despised reading, the one thing that he did love reading about were things like Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. And when Harry Potter was over... We stopped reading books, <laughs> but I mean, it, it lasted for, you know, a very long time. And so you, you got to go with what they like. I used to read a lot of magazines. I mean, magazines aren't bad as long mm-hmm. like I mean, Sports Illustrated or maybe it's, you know, uh, some sort of science magazine, if that's what interests you. You know, I think that's mm-hmm. we always think novels, but you're right. It doesn't need to be. That's that. right. And you can always, you know, take a look at it before they get home, come up with a few questions, some type of little scavenger hunt um, between several magazines, and then leave it right there on the table with their peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a glass of milk. We did an episode, gosh, years ago. Um, it might even be before you were co-host, but it was um, episode 46, Make Fortnite a Vehicle for Your Classroom Lessons. And, and the reason <laughs> I bring this one up is we we talked a lot about like how you can take principles from within a video game and then uh-huh. apply math lessons to them. And I, I know Fortnite's not as big as it once was, but there probably are some other ideas out there. Like we were talking about how like Fortnite had these circles and then it, they would close in and you could do lessons on diameter or yes. radius and so forth. Um, so I think it would be neat if you were an educator to kind of maybe identify what's that popular game at the moment and figure out, all right, how can I make this real and fun? Cause they're going to play the video games over the summer. It's mm-hmm. going to happen. That makes me think about Tomb Raider way back when my right. kids were young. Tomb Raider was huge. And she always, um, she had a lot of arrows. And so I used to ask them the questions like, how, how is she so accurate? How does she know how to literally get her target? And I would make them think about that. That's cool. They didn't even know what I was doing. That's all good stuff. Um, so we also did another episode years ago about, um, it was pretty neat. I think it was a, a Virginia group of teachers and they would ride bicycles with baskets um, through the neighborhood and hand out books to their students. But, oh, I love it. But what was neat was they said that it was just that connection of a, seeing their teacher ride up in front of their yard and hand them a book, mm-hmm. you know, during the out of normal school time. I think that really would kind of motivate some students to actually want to do something. And I always thought that was really neat. Well, one thing that we just have to keep at the center of any conversations about teaching and learning and serving in schools, it's relationships. Mm-hmm. Relationships are the key to anything you want to accomplish. And if you want children to love you and respect you, you've got to build a relationship. You got to meet them where they are. You got to understand their backgrounds, their family dynamics, and find a way to make a connection. And let me tell you, those babies will do anything you want to do. Keep a reading log, earn some points, come back and win a prize in August. They'll do it. I guess this is your first year not as a mom, but as a teacher to have the extended school year, you have a shorter summer, right? Like you guys have, we've talked about this a lot on the show. You have longer Thanksgiving break, longer Christmas break, but a shorter summer, I I guess. So you have a shorter summer. (laughs) This will be the first time to kind of test to see if that helps prevent the slide, I guess, for you to actually see it in real life. Well, um, true, but 
we still have some things in play for this summer. We're offering a kindergarten through second grade summer reading program for three weeks in the month of June, mm-hmm. because we just want to keep trying to keep those kids and their brains involved. We offer credit recovery and some different programs at the high school. There are some things that we're going to put out on our Facebook to keep information and strategies relevant to parents. We're also going to send some links out um, via school status this summer uh, to our parents to give them ideas and things that they can do with their children. So we're, we're not going to let the fact that it's a shorter amount of time make us think, oh, well, the summer slide won't happen. A summer slide can happen. A slide can happen in one week. Do you think so? That that quick? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, when you take two weeks off for Christmas, yeah. that's why when they go, I can't believe a teacher sent a packet home. It's not punishment, but there are some children who need the regular routine. Give it to them. And then you have others that go, I'm not touching that thing. That's fine. But it's there just in case. <laughs> That's good stuff. Well, Christina, uh, thank you for all your uh, expertise and ideas on the summer slide. Are you ready for today's Bright Idea? I am because I'm just all excited about this summer slide conversation. (laughs) Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is here to give us some tips on how and why we should tie stories to STEM. Kathy Joseph is a physicist and host of the popular YouTube channel, Kathy Loves Physics, which has nearly 150,000 subscribers, by the way. And she's also a former science teacher who spent 12 years teaching high school physics. Her latest book, The Lightning Tamers, True Stories of the Dreamers and Schemers Who Harnessed Electricity and Transformed Our World, is out now uh, wherever you can find your uh, books. Kathy, welcome to Class Dismissed. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you because this is a topic that's kind of near and dear to my heart. I love science, but I understand that maybe everyone doesn't. And you've kind of been in the classroom and and you've had all this traction with your YouTube channel where you kind of dive deep into science stories. At what point in your education career did you decide, I need to introduce stories behind science to hook some of those students that maybe not be that engaged? It was more of a serendipity thing. I had this video... And I showed a clip of it. The video was called Einstein's Big Idea. And it was clips of little biographical bits of different people to represent the different, like one was for ease for energy, one was for mass, one was for the speed of light. And the one for energy was this clip about the life and early work of Michael Faraday. And I, you know, as a teacher, you show it for five or six classes in a row every time with a little worksheet. And I just adored it. I thought it was fascinating. And the equipment that they had in the revisualization of what they did was like what I was doing to demonstrate it to the students. So for me, I fell in love and I just started adding more and more to it. Mm-hmm. Partially because I thought the kids might like it but mostly because I loved it. (laughs) And so I was always wanting to know more. And then the more I did it, the more profoundly I found it was changed how I thought about science. You open your book, uh, The Lightning Tamers, or you tell the story about how you were at a dinner party um, around eight years ago. Do you mind sharing that story with us? Oh, yes. So I was at a dinner party And I was talking to someone who I didn't know. And she asked me what I did. And I said, I was a physics teacher. And at first she said, oh, physics, that's, you know, that's too hard for me sort of thing. And then she asked me, 
like if I had any crazy stories. And I said, one of my stories was I asked my students where electricity came from, thinking that they would say, you know, power plants or maybe specific types of power plants, because we learn about power plants from, gosh, middle school on, right? Mm -hmm. And this girl raised her hand really confidently. And I'm like, great. So I, I asked her to answer and she says, oh, electricity comes from the wall. And I'm like, the wall? She's like, yeah, the plug in the wall. I'm like, well, where does the plug in the wall get it from? And it was just dead silence. Like nobody had any idea. Right. And I was telling this woman the story and she sort of, you know, chuckled. And then she said, honestly, if I had thought of power plants, I still wouldn't know where the electricity comes from. I just know the words. Power plants. Right. And so I described to her where, how power plants work, very simply. She was so excited to actually know the basics of the technological world that we live in. And I thought, it's, it's so unfortunate. We push basic literacy, but we don't push basic scientific literacy. It's true. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. It, can you think of an invention that is the equivalent of electricity any time in the past hundred years? Is there any ever been anything as impactful? As electricity? Right. Oh, gosh. I mean, I don't know. It's hard for me because, like... People who say everyone with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm -hmm. To me, everything goes back to electricity. So you're like, oh, well, quantum mechanics and nuclear power and nuclear bombs. I'm like, yeah, that traces straight back to electricity. Right. <laughs> Laws of thermodynamics, straight back to electricity. To me, they're all electricity. So um, it's hard for me to say something that isn't electricity that's influential because to my mind they're all electricity <laughs> if that makes any sense it does and, and and so your book the lightning tamers you decided to kind of go down this path of like where did all this begin i guess right yes well I, what actually happened is i just at first i just wrote i just let it take me wherever the story wanted to go I wrote it as a series of linked short stories and I just went down all sorts of paths. Oh, let's talk about the history of radio. Oh, let's talk about the history of quantum mechanics. Oh, let's go down here and here and here and here. And then I went, okay, this is not one book. This is a, this is like, you ever seen that picture with the guy and there's the map behind them with all the pins in it. Mm -hmm, yeah. It felt like that. It's, there's so many connections. It wasn't one book. And then I realized, okay, this is going to be, I'm going to refine it into one book about starting from the beginning of how electricity got in the houses. And now I'm working on my second book on the history of wireless and my third book on the history of radium. And then my fourth book is going to be on the history of quantum mechanics. So there's, all these linked stories because everything can be taught through its history. 
So if you're teaching high school science today and you want to hook your your students on being interested in electricity, give me a story from within your book, maybe, um, that would kind of grab those students' attention. Oh, gosh, there's so many stories. But I think I'm going to stick with, how about um, Hans Christian Orsted and the discovery of electromagnetism? So have you heard of our Hans Christian Orsted? No, I've heard of electromagnetism, but no. I, maybe I've heard that name, but I, I couldn't give you any information behind it. That's totally fine. So traditionally, when we teach this, we say something like, in 1820, a Danish man named Hans Christian Orsted accidentally discovered that electricity in a wire creates a circular magnetic field. And by making that statement, you lose 80 to 90% of your class. Right. Because most of us are like, what is a circular magnetic field and why do I care is kind of what I'm thinking. Exactly. Exactly. There's no hook to it. And if you're like me, you're like Danish, Hans Christian. Wasn't Hans Christian Andersen Danish? And then you're busy singing under the sea. (laughs) You're just off in the bush because people want to make connections. and so. In my mind, it's better to take a little step back and say, Hans Christian Andersen, I'm sorry, Hans Christian Orsted was a Danish philosopher who believed that all science was connected. And he was determined, determined to connect things that otherwise looked disconnected. And one of the things he wanted to try to connect was electricity and magnetism. Because they seem like they should be connected. Magnets attract things from a distance. Static electricity attracts things from a distance. You have the same rules, like repel, opposites attract. Mm-hmm. And even like a magnet has a north and a south, and a battery has a plus and a minus. He's like, they have to be connected. And he spent something like 14 years trying to make a battery move in a magnetic field or move a compass and couldn't do it. And then one day he plugged in his battery through a wire and a nearby compass moved. And he was so excited that he wrote, I was very excited about this, but I needed to do it again with a stronger battery to make sure it worked. (laughs) which is why people think he did it by accident. And, but the other thing, the force, he wanted to see a connection, but the connection he saw, he didn't like because it wasn't like any other force he had ever seen. Like everything, other force is a push or pull. Gravity pulls you. Your brother punches you. That's a push. Mm -hmm. Your mom grabs your arm. That's a pull. You're, you know, magnets with the north and the south. It's either a push or a pull. But this one was weird. The current went in the wire and the compass pointed in a circle around the wire. And he was like, I don't accept this. <laughs> he literally said, uh-uh, I don't think this is happening. Hmm. I think what's happening is there's a positive current spiraling one way, pulling the north, and a negative current curling the other way that's pulling the south and that's why it looks like it's going in a circle. And then um, 
Englishman with no math skills and no background named Michael Faraday showed that you could make a wire spin around a magnet or a magnet spin around a wire. And he's like, nope, it's circular. So that's where it comes from. And, and that's why it's important. Right. And and so let's try to break down what you just did there. Like you took this otherwise boring concept and I guess you made it more interesting to my mind by putting attaching personalities to it. Right. Because science is personal because scientists are people. It's not a set of facts. It's a set of models based on facts. And I think if we understand that scientists are artists making models of reality. I like that. It's, it lets you know that there's multiple ways to be a scientist and the discoveries aren't just like, uh, I think Marie Sklodowska Curie said that discoveries don't just come to you like Minerva emerging from the head of Zeus, but they're actually like a lot of hard work, but they're also developed from other people's ideas. and. I think that when we teach it that way, we know not only teach the individual idea better, but we also give the student a sense of how science grows and develops. When I look at your YouTube channel, I see that you have, you know, different videos, 68,000 views, 96,000 views, and so on, 112,000 views. And these are these are long videos. Like, I mean, you're talking for... 30 minutes, 55 minutes at a time. What is it about your channel is so engaging to your audience? Is it the same principle? Stories? It's both. It's both stories and science. Because the goal of all my videos and my book and books is to teach the science through the stories. And I feel like most people who talk about the stories are not trying to teach the science. And I almost feel like that's an injustice to the scientists. Like you write a biography of Einstein or Faraday or whatever, and you don't teach their science. Well, they dedicated their life to the science, right? Right. And I don't see how you, I think it's the biggest honor to their life to teach their science through their life, to teach both at the same time. And so I think what makes my channel do well is that I incorporate both engaging crazy stories with teaching the real science. And some of my videos have quite difficult math in it. I did a video on uh, an overview of Maxwell's equations. That has some pretty high-level math in it, but it is not just high-level math. It is also some stories combined together, and I think we're not used to it. We're used to our textbooks being dry and dull, and we're used to our stories not teaching us anything but the story. If, if you could roll back the clock and, and go talk to yourself as a first-year teacher, uh, what what would you tell yourself? Oh, I would definitely tell myself, one, to be more strict 
<laughs> I was not very good at that. And two, look up as many stories as you can. It took me years to incorporate even a few stories. But the thing is, it's hard to change the path because there's no textbooks that teach it this way. And, you know, as a teacher, you're so slammed. Right. For, so, I mean, honestly, I would just say, try to incorporate stories in bits and pieces. And the more you do that, the happier you'll be. And the other thing about looking at the history is I cannot tell you how many times I've been inspired for an experiment from the original experiment that someone did. That's neat. One of my favorites was that um, there was this crazy German man named Matthias Boza. And in 1742, he published a paper about his crazy experiments. Um, he combined um, a spinning glass globe as his static electricity machine mm -hmm. and, and a wire, a metal thing to get to him who he'd stand on a, like a wax stand. And then he would like electrify pretty women and give them electric kisses and write bad poetry about it, <laughs> about his teeth almost broke. But he also lit alcohol on fire from a spark, from a sword or from his bare hand. Wow. And I'm like, I have to do this. I have to do <laughs> you this. You did it in class? You did it? You just did it at home? Oh, I did it at home because I wasn't teaching then. Right. Okay. And so I was like, but I don't have a Van de Graaff generator. With the, the metal sphere where you put your hands on it and your hair stands up. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I don't need a Van de Graaff generator because you can't see what's going on in a Van de Graaff generator. But what's going on is inside there's a belt spinning and rubbing against something. That's, and then the big metal thing collects all the extra charges and then your hair stands up. I'm like, I need something like that glass ball spinning, right? Right. But I don't want to spin glass because <laughs> that's dangerous. So I was talking to my husband and we're, we're looking around for stuff. And he's like, how about a plastic lid? So we bought a plastic lid. We drilled a hole in it. We connected it to a drill. And I had my friend spin it while she rubbed it against a piece of cloth. Okay. And then I stood on a plastic thing, touched it with a, I think it was a reusable metal pan that I use for like cooking turkeys and stuff. Right, right. One know? that you would just kind of throw away after you're done with it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so my, till my hair stood up and then I lit alcohol and fire with a spark from my bare hand. Okay, wait. So I'm imagining this is one of you've got a drill, a plastic lid, and the lid spinning, and then you took the pan and touched it to the spinning lid while it's in one no, hand. No. I got so I was electrified. My hair standing up. Okay. And then if I touch something that was not on the plastic thing, I could make a spark go to that. Right. Okay. So I had a spark go from my hand to a pot with rubbing alcohol in it. <laughs> And it lit the alcohol on fire. Wow. Yeah. And it was really. Did you feel anything? I, well, when I first tried it, I tried it with my just one finger and it hurt a tiny bit and it didn't light it on fire. So I had to use my knuckle, which didn't hurt at all and lit it on fire. Have you ever posted this on your YouTube channel? 
Oh, of course. Oh, I'm going to um, have to go look that one up. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's the ninth video or something. It's like Crazy Electricity Wizards of the 1700s. It was a bad title. <laughs> I was just getting started. <laughs> That's neat, though. I'm going to have to go back and watch that one. That's really cool. I'll maybe even link that one to the show notes if anybody wants to go track that one down and try the experiment themselves. So good thinking, though, on how you put that together. Thank you. But I think like that's symbolic of like, there is so much in the past that can inspire us and inspire the students. And think about like, I made a Van de Graaff generator with a drill and like $2 and 50 cents worth of equipment, right? Right. Yeah, that's neat. Well, again, uh, the book is The Lightning Tamers, True Stories of the Dreamers and Schemers Who Harnessed Electricity and Transformed Our World. I mean, who do you say this book is for? Just anybody who's into science or anybody that wants to know the history of electricity? Like, what's your target? My target is anyone who wants to know how the electrical world works and how we got or how we got there. Well, it's really cool. Again, Kathy Joseph, thank you so much for uh, kind of bringing us in together on this and then kind of educating the educators on how we can kind of maybe hook some of those students that uh, may not love science on the surface, but they may have that love for the stories behind the science. And that might be how we get to them. So that's always important information. Are you ready for our pop quiz? Yes. All right. I think first question, if students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? History. You can make history cover everything. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? I I honestly think there should be more art and there should be more interconnected classes. I think we teach plenty of good things, but we don't connect them. What does every child deserve? Empathy. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Time. We don't have enough time to do anything. What's the best gift to give an educator? Money. (laughs) (laughs) Which which teacher changed your life? Oh, gosh. I'm going to go with my high school physics teacher. How so? He was inspirational to me. Just like he appreciated that I had a different brain. And encourage and felt like encourage me to think that was a good thing which book have you read love and want to recommend to our listeners i've read a book called einstein and the quantum by a man named douglas stone which is a history of both einstein and the people around him and it's I thought it was fascinating, and the person who wrote it was a is a physicist who does this modern physics, but also he explained it very well, I thought. Mm-hmm. It's a very easy-to-read book, and it's full of all these quirky stories about people who interact with each other. It's just my cup of tea. Well, again, you're listening to Kathy Joseph. The book is The Lightning Tamers. Uh, you can also follow her on her popular YouTube channel. That's at Kathy Loves Physics, uh, titled Kathy Loves Physics and History. Uh, Kathy, thank you so much for sharing all this with us today. Thank you. Uh, could I say one more thing? Yeah, please. On my website, kathylovesphysics.com, I have a theme. I posted the scripts to all my videos. And my modern videos have 
not only citations, but link citations. So you can just click on it. So if you want to use some of these facts in your classroom, feel free to go to the website and, you know, copy and paste so you can have some footnotes and you can see some things and use it for yourself. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that with us. Again, that website is kathylovesphysics.com. Kathy Joseph, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismiss. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed. Thank you.